Okay, the story of David and Bathsheba, the story of David committing adultery with a woman who was the wife of one of his trusted soldiers, who was the granddaughter of his most trusted advisor. And then when he commits adultery and she becomes pregnant, she, uh, uh, David arranges after trying to attempt to uh, a cover up, he fails twice. After twice failing a cover up, he has the husband murdered. And so why is this in the Bible? Well, it's in the Bible for among other reasons to teach us no matter how, where we, are, where we think that we are spiritually. We're capable of doing anything. And, and that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, from out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and, and then he describes what's in, the, uh, what's in the heart. He says, adulteries, murders, evil thoughts proceed from our hearts. In other words, the seedbed of our hearts has these things, adulteries and murders. You know, I'm going to share this at a Sunday morning service, but I'll share this with you this evening, this Tuesday night. One of the things that has grieved me during this whole COVID crisis, where in the midst of the crisis, we have um, uh, a crisis involving race relations, and it's, it's, it's no co coincidence uh, part of the, the, the reason uh, that uh, emotions have gotten so inflamed uh, regarding race at this time is because we're in the middle of a COVID crisis and uh, it just, uh, man's natural tendency is to, is to um, uh, during a time like this, being shut in and and frustration is to act out their frustrations. Now, some of the acting out uh, has been perfectly just, peaceful, and I think appropriate. But one of the things that has grieved me so much is on social media, I see posted by Christians over and over and over and over again it, hundreds of times by Christians, Christians that I know, Christians who may be looking at the message tonight, pictures of the looting uh, that's taken place uh, in some of the, the, uh, the racial riots, S uh, some of the banditry, the... Um, the, uh, the stealing, the, the destruction, the vandalism, the crimes that have happened by the looters in the midst of this violence that has been instigated 
by uh, this racial conflict. And not once have I seen accompanying these posts of all these pictures, not even one time by all these Christians, I'm talking about posts by Christians now, have I seen the statement, but for the grace of God, I would be doing the same thing. Not once have I heard or seen the whole time, one person saying, Words to the effect, my heart breaks and weeps for these people because they are on the broad road that leads to eternal hell. No, what I've seen over and over is a self-righteous, look at what these horrible people are doing. As if the person posting the post is not capable of doing the same thing. Pastor Freddie last Sunday morning gave a message on humility. And this type of thing is quite, is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches and what Freddie was encouraging in his preaching, humility. Of course, these things are terrible. They're awful. What do you expect that dead people to do? The Bible says that a, a, a person apart from Christ is dead. They're walking dead people. And Ephesians 2 says they are sons of disobedience being, uh, uh, being influenced by the devil and demons themselves. What do you expect them to do? But the last thing that we should be doing is using the whole thing as an excuse to make out how righteous we are. Oh, how we could never do such a thing. And these types of posts reflect to me a deep-seated misunderstanding of their own soul, a, a deep misunderstanding of the depravity of man, of the fallenness of man. David is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And he is the first righteous king of Israel. He, Jesus is called the son of David, which was very much of a compliment being the son of David. And he is the standard of righteousness for every single king that followed him. He was the standard of righteousness. In other words, every king after him was judged according to the standard of David because it's repeatedly said this king did or did not walk in the ways of David. Yet David... In 2 Samuel chapter 11, Crit uh, commits one of the most heinous sins described in the Bible. He commits adultery again, tries to cover a book, uh, the, the woman with whom he commits adultery with, which, by the way, was the granddaughter of his most trusted advisor, the wife of a man that David owed his very life to one of the 50, his 50 mighty men who protected him. She has a child, tries to cover it up twice, fails, and has him murdered. 
brothers and sisters. But for the grace of God, go I. But for the grace of God, go you. But, but for the grace of God, I would be taking, I don't know, a, gro- a metal grocery cart and tossing it through the window of some strip mall because I'm angry at racial injustice. But for the grace of God, you would be doing the same thing. Calvary Chapel, or when are we going to repent? When are we going to see that our sin, the sin of self-righteousness, is just as heinous as that? And, 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 and in fact, Jesus spent most of his time uh, not preaching about violence, but teaching about religious pride. Oh, that we would root it out of our hearts. And oh, that we would repent and realize that we are capable ourselves, as David was, of the most heinous sin. You know, I don't, I don't see Facebook posts you know, recounting David's um, sin. Look at what this terrible, awful person is doing. I don't see those. There's a great confusion, a great self-righteousness, a great pride that we have in this country. And until we humble ourselves, as Freddie Sermon said, the first sermon on Sunday, until we humble ourselves, and understand our own wickedness and God's own greatness and Jesus' terrible, the terrible price that he paid to put our sin away. We won't see revival. The good news is that God delights in mercy and would love to see us come to him in that way so that he may pour out his spirit on us. Let that be true of us. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It happened in the spring of the battle at the time when kings go out to battle. Rather, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Verse 4, then David sent messengers and took her. So let's, let's go through these verses. I think that there are some very important lessons here on what 
comes before a moral failure? What comes before a moral failure? At this time, David had been reigning over Judah for 20 years. He had been the king of Israel for about 13 years. And he's 50 years old. About 50. You know, it's interesting. So many times when you're talking about moral failure, you talk about young men or, or young women. But so much of moral failure is done by people who are this age in their 50s. In fact, so oftentimes men in their 50s leave their wives. Their wife no longer has the flower of youth. And they leave their wives and, and the, the, the consequences of their moral failure are exponentially greater than oftentimes the moral failure of a 20 year old. Yeah, I, it's interesting to me that um, I was um, 20 years into my walk with God. I had met, I knew probably at least a couple hundred pastors by that time, 20 years into my walk with God. And I had never known a single pastor who had committed moral failure, not even one, until something like year 22 of my walk with the Lord. And that speaks well of Calvary Chapel, as these kind of things have been rare. It speaks well of, of, uh, of pastors um, in the in the evangelical church because relatively speaking these are rare occurrences they get a lot of media but um they're relatively speaking in in the uh, regenerate born-again churches in america at least they're rare but they do happen now interestingly um the first two people i knew and i knew one of them very well fairly well, I should say, uh, were very well-known pastors, and both of them were 55 years and older. That's my age. So I, I read something like this, and I take it very much to heart. But this story, chapter 11, is for... Chapter 11 of Second Samuel, it's just for everyone. Old and young. What can we learn about David's failure here? Well, the first thing is, and those of you who are familiar with the account, it says it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. So at that time, uh, during the winter, uh, there would be almost a mutual agreement among enemies. Look, we're going to take the winter off and we're not going to war. And um, it says, it said that at that time, when the kings go out to ba battle, David remained at Jerusalem. And so the teaching here is that David should have been gone out into war. 
He should have been there. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.10 and Proverbs 24.33, same exact verse. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. When a man is not busy at work, doing what he's called to do, the Bible says that the gift of God is irrevocable. We do our calling until we die, man or woman. And when we think that we can just sort of hang up the... uh, you know, hang up the, 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 the calling for a while or maybe even take a break. And I'm not talking about resting. Resting is very important. Sometimes sabbaticals are important. But that's not what was going on here. When we think that we can kind of get a break, a break from ministry. And I've heard this so many times. Someone ministers for five years, 15 years, 25 years. Oh, now it's time for someone else to to do the ministry. I'm stepping, stepping down. I'm not talking about someone doing something different in ministry. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the attitude that somehow I've got come to the place in my life that I'm so spiritual. I don't need to be actively involved in the ministry of the local church anymore. It's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. You know, I, I share with some of the uh, the teachers of the Word of God at our church and 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 others, not not just the te- well, mainly when I, uh, I I share this, I'm sharing with the teachers of the Word of God. But uh, this applies to really anyone uh, in ministry. The grind of week to week ministry, of week to week showing up on time, prepared, ready to go is very, very spiritually healthy. Is it true that my flesh wants a break? Yeah, (laughs) it's really true. I mean, after all, David could say here, I've been fighting the Lord's battles for, at this time, 30 years. Surely I can take a break. I can guarantee you that every person around him would have been saying, yeah, 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 sure. Of all people who deserve a break, it's you. But what happens? He stays behind. He's putting his calling on the shelf. And and, and I'm not suggesting for a minute he needed to be the one that was front line in the battle. But everything I've ever read about war is when when a, a military commander is in battle, he could be completely in a safe zone. It's 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 a combat area in a different way uh, in his office. But a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hand or rest and poverty will come upon you by, uh, 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 poverty will come upon you like a bandit, spiritual poverty. Why? Because your mind now has, it begins to wander because you start frittering away. You get on the social media too much. You get on the computer too much. You're watching NBA games uh, too much. You're watching six hours of football, whatever it is, reruns of Muhammad Ali. Uh, and listen, I was a big fan um, uh, of that type of thing in the 70s. I love those reruns. 
but I get, but, but I, and, and I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying when you're not involved in the calling, the gift and calling of God are irrevocable. You are in a dangerous place. And this David's in a dangerous place. It happened, uh, it says in verse two that it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's um, house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and she was beautiful to behold. So David uh, sent uh, for the woman. Now, don't think it was just because, yeah, let me me posit this. Let, Let me say this. David sent for the woman because it had been weeks and weeks, if not months. And he's sitting in Jerusalem where he's not in a place to be. I'm convinced that if for some reason he had to leave the place of battlefield uh, for an urgent matter and rush back to Jerusalem, he would not have sent for her. He would have been in a good place. The problem here, you just don't wake up one morning and say, you know, I'm going to go out and commit adultery today or murder someone. No, that's not what happens. Your heart has been prepared for that sin. Your heart has been, you've been preparing your heart there. You've been allowing your heart to get to the place where you're going to sin like that. And it, and, and it says that, um, you know, he arose and uh, he saw this woman bathing. Now, um, there's a whole nother sermon and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Some commentators say that you can't accuse, you can't assume anything wrong on the part of Bathsheba. Well, they haven't lived in the city. <laughs> Anyone who's lived in the city, at least where I live, anyone who lives, you cannot, you cannot leave the, your window without curtains, without knowing full well for any lengths of time that someone is um, checking you out. I remember one time I was walking around, uh, and this is a true story, I was walking around my room and there was, there was a woman <laughs> uh, with binoculars checking me out from a, a, a distant place, but there's no question in my mind. She had binoculars, it was right at my house. And uh, it's a fact in the city that we need to be very, very careful with this thing. And so, um, I, so I believe with all my heart that Bathsheba shouldn't have been doing what she's doing. Now you can disagree with me and we'll find out in heaven uh, who's right, but, but we need to be really, really careful. But being on the roof bathing naked in the city where there's buildings taller than you, Come on, ladies. Be wise. Ephesians chapter, I think we, at the beginning of COVID, we spent a bunch of time on this. Uh, be, wise, uh, be wise, understanding the times that you're living in. And so, uh, David sends for this woman. He's been in ministry for 25 years. He's taken some time off ministry. I mean, uh, uh, he, he's been um, he's been uh, he's been a warrior, and that's the calling that God 
has done for him. There's a different calling, by the way, for Solomon. Solomon was to be a man of peace. But another important thing that um, we need to be uh, understanding here about how day, how it led to the time that David committed the sin and how his heart had been prepared to do this sin is, is that David actually for years had been accumulating wives, notwithstanding the fact that Deuteronomy 17, 17 specifically outlaws the multiplication of wives by kings. What is the multiplication of wives? I think it means, literally, I think it means more than one. Multiple means more than one. You know what excuse I have? I, I rather, excuse I hear so oftentimes when um, I hear so oftentimes when uh, when someone wants to get into a place where uh, is a place of temptation, they say, well, everyone else is doing it. Well, David had that excuse. Every other king was doing it at that time. So parents, next time your, your, your kids say, well, everyone is doing it, you can point to this chapter. Look what happened when this guy did what everyone else uh, did. He fell into sin. David knew the law. He knew the word of God. He knew he wasn't supposed to do it, but he was multiplying wives. And we have every reason to believe, and I, I, I got to be careful here. I don't want to read too much into the Bible. But I think it's entirely possible that, that um, David would be going uh, by somewhere, see a, see a beautiful woman, and think in his own mind, well, I can take her as a wife. She's beautiful. And it was purely a sexual thing. I don't know that for sure. I hope God forgives me. But I, I do know how the mind of a, a man operates. Because I'm, my, my heart is desperate, desperately wicked beyond cure as well. And so he had come to the place in his life where he, uh, he didn't have any control. Or he had, he had very little control. Maybe a better way of saying it. There's reason to believe he had very little control in the area of sexual lust by this time. You know, uh, we have to counsel often guys who are doing pornography while they're single. And... Um, there's a lie that many of them have. Well, you know, as soon as I get married, I'll get off of pornography. That's a lie. I, I actually know that from personal experience. I took pornography one year into my marriage by the grace of God. The Lord gave me victory in that area. But, but, but not only myself, I, I, since then, there's so many other examples of, of many. Their pornography or what we'll call, in case there's children watching, self-sex without pornography. It'll go right into the marriage. 
And so men, women, don't be deceived if you think that doing pornography, somehow when you get married, that's gonna go away, nonsense. What's your proof, Pastor Steve? Well, other than my own personal testimony and the testimonies of so many other that I've been counseling over the years, 2 Samuel chapter 11. One wife. You know what one wife does among many, many other things? First, the most important thing is it's a picture of Christ in the church, Christ's faithfulness to the church. He's faithful to one. He doesn't, he, he, he's faithful to his bride, his church. But it also would have, if David had one wife, he would have been developing discipline in the area of sexual temptation and lust. He would have been developing that discipline over the years of how to have just one wife. And so important, you know, yesterday at all day prayer, we, we spent uh, in, in the later hours of the day praying just for the men and women at our church who may be struggling with pornography, just asking for, for victory and strength there because it weakens the church body. It really does. And I just wanted to spend just a few minutes of, you know, what do you do You're, you, to, to, to battle uh, sexual temptation? What might David have done to better prepare so that he would not have had this very black spot on his history. Well, I heard this once and this didn't originate with me, but it's something uh, that Cy Rogers taught us many years ago, by the way, if you don't know Cy Rogers, just wonderful man, came to our church twice. He had um, been a practicing homosexual for many years, uh, was also, you would say tra uh, transgender and that he converted to Christ. And uh, he described his tremendous, tremendous struggles coming out of that lifestyle. And it was all in his mind. Uh, the battle was in his mind and, and, and uh, great teachings on this. And uh, he and others teach this and it's wonderful. It's when the thought comes in your mind, just go directly to the throne of God with it and say, God, replace the thought. Because so many times, and for years, what I did with, with thoughts that were, um, that were evil in nature, you're thinking, well, God is holy. I, I really can't be sharing this at the altar. And you try to push it down or push it aside. Come on, God knows your thoughts. Just go right to him, Lord. You see this wicked thought of mine. Would you please replace it? And he just described this scenario. It was so incredibly difficult. The hundreds of, uh, of days, uh, rather hundreds of times a day, he had to do this exercise. And it's a great exercise too. I highly recommend it. The other thing, of course, that should be really important to you, first of all, it goes without saying, you should be with regularly with, in fellowship with the body of Christ should be regularly in prayer, regularly in Bible study, Acts chapter 2, verse 
42. That's a staple. That's a foundation. But in addition to that, I think it's important just to memorize scripture. Philippians 4.8, the ladies did Philippians last year, says this, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Best thing to do, memorize scripture. I'm in the process of memorizing Psalm 118. Anyone else would like to memorize it with me? I invite you to do that. I'm only on verse 8, but I could uh, use, use accompaniment in this. So just filling your mind, saying to the Lord, replace this thought, Lord, bringing him into the problem. He's almighty God. Why would we ever push God out of our problems involving sexual lust and all the other lusts that we have as human beings? Why would we ever want to... To, to take our friend Jesus out, to push him out. That's nuts. But David, instead of making the problem uh, manageable, made it much, much worse by multiplying wise. Uh, and I believe at this time uh, he had... Uh, I, actually, I know at this time he had concubines as well, which was le less than a wife, more than someone that's a mistress. It's uh, at the time concubines. So he was like um, any, any other king during that day. And so that was the consequences of just believing that uh, because everyone else does it and gets away with it, he, he will get away with it as well. So much to learn from 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, David sent messengers and took her. She came to him and he lay with her. For her, for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. Now, from time to time, someone will say to me, they come and do a serious sexual sin or some other sin. Usually it's a serious sexual sin. And they say, I just, I, I don't understand what happened. I, it just, I can't believe I did what I did. And, and then I, I have to bring them down to earth and say, oh, oh no, you can believe. And it, it did, and it just didn't happen. Because in every situation in life, our God is a faithful God. He gives warning signs. Among a, so, so what were the warning signs that God gave uh, to David? Well, number one, when he sent to inquire about her, he was told that she was the daughter of Eliam. Now, his closest advisor, most trusted advisor at this time was a man named Ahithophel. You might have thought. So... So in other words, it was a warning, a clanging bell. David, this is your close friend, Ahithophel. You can't do this to his granddaughter. David, no, no, no. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying. I agree in the principle that, this, uh, that uh, the Lord's voice is a still small voice. Sometimes it's not, it's loud. It was loud right here. But he had another warning sign. It was the wife of Uriah. The Hittite, one of David's, listed as one of David's mighty men. And someone, again, as I said earlier, he could owe, owe his life to. I mean, this is a guy that 
that fought valiantly with David against, um, well, for a number of years in battle, who were responsible for him coming into power, who, who he could owe his very title as, of, of king to, Uriah the Hittite. In other words, alarm bell by the Holy Spirit. No, David, no, David, no, David, no, David, no, David. You know, sin is an amazing thing, the deceitfulness of sin. It's shocking. He just blows down the warning signs. But that's how deceitful sin is. Sometimes there have been times in my life where I just don't get it because someone's talking to me about going into a life of sin or leaving their wife or whatever, whatever leaving their husband, and I'm like, how could this person not see the disaster that is ahead of them? Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another every day, lest your heart be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. It will lie to you. It will say to you, doesn't matter she's the granddaughter of your most trusted advisor. doesn't matter that uh, she's the wife of... Uh, um, someone you, you owe your very life to. You'll get away with it. Do it. It'll be great. It'll be fun. It'll be exhilarating. Sin is deceitful. And so David just blows through these warning signs that are loud and clear. So David took her. She came to him. He lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. You know, it's been said before that temptation, uh, that the, the whole battle with temptation is kind of like a Coke machine. A Coke, which is four quarters. It used to be four quarters. Okay, it's $1.95 now. But, but uh, it used to be four quarters with a Coke machine. And so uh, here, it, it has been said in the area of temptation and dealing with sin and temptation that, you know, you, you put one quarter in, you can still walk away from the Coke machine and not buy that nasty thing that has all the sugar. It's going to make you five pounds heavier. And then you put a second quarter in, you can still walk away. But you know, by this time, oh, that the taste of that really, that, that sweet Coke, and don't give me any of this Coke Zero stuff, that's what Eric Burks drinks. And, oh, how can you drink that? I like the stuff with all the sugar. You put another, a third quarter in. But when you, you put that fourth quarter in, it's, it's over. That Coke is coming down. And, you know, initially here, David did something he never should have done. He put the first quarter in. When he inquired who she was. At that point, that's all he was doing. He's saying, you know, I don't know. I'll just let me just see who she is. Maybe she's not married. Never should have done that. That was the first quarter. But the next thing you know, it's he's 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 sending for. Her. 
And then he's bringing her into his room. And how many times have I um, heard really silly things, uh, you know, rationalizations like, you know, I, I, I can have my girlfriend over and we can share the same bed, but we're not going to, we're not going to go all the way. Oh, come on. That's foolishness. You're putting in four quarters. Don't be a fool. Don't be deceived by the, 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 the deceitfulness of sin. And so he had, he had several things here where, where there's, no, there's no question. Um, he could have got out. He could have done it, but he didn't. He proceeded, and it says that he lied with her. Verse 5 says, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Verse 6, then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah the, to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told uh, David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come uh, from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your uh, soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here to, today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to the house. In the morning, it happened. But, but, but he did not go down to the house. So, so let's, let's stop right there. So David, an elaborate scheme here to try to um, get Uriah to sleep with his own wife and... Um, you know, keep in mind what he's doing here. He, he, he's, he's reached such a low spiritual place, and you have the capacity to do the same thing, and so do I, that he is willing to um, have Uriah go sleep with his wife, and then, you know, she's, she's pregnant. Uriah thinks he's his own. Raise David's son, not knowing it his whole life, Uriah, that is. David's willing to have Uriah do that. David's willing to live out his own years knowing that that's his son, not Uriah's. He's willing to do that. I tell you, the passion of sin, this is the sin, the deceitfulness of sin that people are capable of. And so he's thinking he can get Uriah to sleep with his wife, but, um, you know, he's in the middle of war. And some of you know what it's like when you're in the middle of a disaster. I mean, come on, the, the, at the beginning of COVID, when all the people were dying, there was 
a thousand people a day in New York, uh, 150 a day in Boston. It wasn't exactly a time for, for us to go out partying and doing stuff and feasting and celebrating. And so you can understand Uriah, how can I do this when my friends are in war? Some of them are being killed. And so then David uh, tries to get him drunk. He made sure his, uh, his, uh, his cup was filled. He did get drunk. And by the way, a whole other sermon is if you think that you can uh, drink to excess and not be vulnerable to sexual immorality, you are playing the part of a fool. It, every single study indicates on this particular subject that that greatly increases the chances of sexual immorality. Many of you are, are probably thinking, well, yeah, yeah, I know about all that. So David knows about that too. He's trying to get Uriah drunk. Doesn't matter. Sleeps at, sleeps at the, the, the door of the castle. Wow. You know, I hope by the grace of God that someone will hear my words and remember this, that if there's some kind of moral failure or, or, or this kind of thing in the future in your life, don't try to cover it up. David did have, David did have a um, alternative here, and that was to immediately repent and just cast himself, cast himself at the mercy of God. He could have repented first before God, crying out to God, forgive me, and then having to go to Uriah. And then again, yeah, casting himself at the mercy of God. You know, the whole scheme was foolish um, because keep in mind that people knew about what David did. He had sent for this woman. If you, it's inconceivable to think that there were not palace servants who knew that Bathsheba went into that room. People knew. People knew. It's, it's amazing what people try to do to cover up schemes. I've been, I've been brought into an issue, an issue at, a, at a different church where a pastor has, um, uh, has uh, committed um, uh, just a, a, a grievous uh, injustice, and uh, he has not been upfront with his church, and so he's going to be confronted in this type of thing. But uh, the things that that he has done to try to uh, cover up and make it not look so bad. It's, it's crazy. How, how could he possibly think that, that people are not going to find out? It's the deceitfulness of sin. That's what it's about. The deceitfulness of sin. And so he tries this crazy scheme and, 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 and listen, I, I, I know particularly something of this magnitude, David, it would have been painful. But there, it, and it is painful. It is painful once there's been a moral failure to just go do the right thing and repent immediately. It's painful. There's tons of shame. There's people hurt, people angry. 
But there is one more, one thing that's more painful than not immediately repenting. And that is the consequence, consequences of not immediately repenting. David would suffer unbelievably for the rest of his life for not just immediately repenting. I, I, with all my heart, I believe if he immediately repented, the consequences, the sword never left his house. His daughter was raped by his son. Just terrible things that consequences of, uh, of, of this particular sin of, of David's. You know, the wonderful thing as a Christian, the reason the cross is so ugly because it covers the ugliness, ugliest sin that you could possibly ever commit. First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he will. There will be consequences, but you'll never be treated as your sin, sin deserves. Not if you're a born-again Christian. You will not. And so he's going to pay very, very dearly for, for just not immediately repenting. So let's go to verse 15. Verse 15 says, and he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. He's just at an incredibly low place spiritually, deceived at this time. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned uh, Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. So uh, Joab gets this, this letter from David. You know, Joab has his integrity issues. We already know this. I, I personally believe that this is an example of just blind, sinful loyalty. Yes, we are supposed to be loyal to our supervisors, but when we know that there is some sin going on, that's time to say, no, I'm sorry. Fire me if you want to. I'm not going to do that. Joab doesn't. He, he, uh, th there is such a thing as what, what the law calls due process. Uh, wait, before I, uh, I do what you're asking me to do, David, can you please give an explanation of what is going on? Some commentators say, well, you know, at this time, Joab got this from the king. He trusted the king. Uriah must have done something wrong. No, 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 no. You, you don't stick your head in the sand. You go and find out, wait, why you, why, what's up, David? Why are you doing this? But he didn't. He, Joab does some great things uh, in, in the Bible. We've already seen, I think, in the last chapter um, uh, where he can be a very noble man. But this is not one of his noble moments. So he puts Uriah in a very vulnerable place. He, he obeys David's assignment. Verse 17, then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. And charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matter of the war to the king, if it happens that the king king's wrath, his anger, rises, and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that uh, they would be shot from, they would shoot from the wall? Verse 21, who struck Abimelech, the son of Jer Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on, 
on him uh, from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near to the wall? So um, Joab is anticipating that David may not be happy with all the other casualties of the ba uh, battle. And so he's just anticipating that. And he tells the messenger, if he says something like that, add this, end of verse 21, Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Uh, the next verse can only be described as nauseating, which is what you and I are capable of doing, being nauseating in our sin. David says to the said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not lest this thing displease you, for the sword devours as well one as well as another. I mean, come on, David. You know what's going on here. You just had someone killed. Why all the poetic nonsense? Uh, but this is what we do. This is how far we can get with a hardened heart. Um, it, it, end of verse 25, strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Verse 27, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And then uh, the end of verse 27, every time I read this, um, I just shudder saying, oh, no. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You know, sometimes you can fool some people. Sometimes you can fool everybody but you can never fool God. And somehow David had gotten to the place where he had so much favor with God that he, that he had deceived himself into thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm God's man. Surely if he does something here, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. Every time again that I read that, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. All I can think of is the old, um, lyrics from uh, Carmen in his song Radically Saved, which I don't know that anyone is young enough listening to remember that. But one of the lyrics there is a, a line in that song where uh, uh, Carmen is telling, uh, telling his listeners what to do when Satan comes against them. And the line is this, Satan you're going to feel some pain. And every time I read this verse, I think of the same thing. Oh, David, he's going to be, he's going to feel some pain. He is going to be in some pain because God is white, hot, holy. Pastor Freddie talked last Sunday about the fear of God. If you, Calvary Chapel, think that you can tamper 
and play games and tempt the Lord in this kind of way that David does here and think that somehow you're not going to experience major, major, major pain. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Oh, is David uh, going to suffer an incredible amount of misery? Now, we're going to see the grace of God as well, and it's going to be a very encouraging thing. It's going to be an amazing thing. Again, the cross is really ugly because it covered not only your and my ugly sins, but David's uh, ugly sins as well. We're going to see the grace of God. It's a wonderful thing. 